Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the School for Dumb Women, the podcast where we investigate the things you're too proud to admit you know nothing about. I'm your host woman, flat earth conspiracist Hannah Varrell. Joining me is drinks her own piss for health reasons, Alexandra Haddo. Have I once had to go to hospital for drinking my own piss? No, Hannah. Drinking bleach? Yes. What does that tell you? And can't tell the difference between a jade roller and a jade egg, Caroline O'Donoghue. I ate the egg so the roller had to go in the other end. Today we're keeping it light and fluffy by discussing the country of Norway, optimism, and how to have a famous, famous child. So, Caroline, your topic today is one of the most sought-after travel destinations in the world, but I can't afford to go there. <laughs> well, they wouldn't inlet you in, would they? Oh! <laughs> so I found out today that, uh, despite the fact that Norway is very famous for its fjords, I had no idea what a fjord was. <laughs> Did you? Isn't a fjord like a ravine between two mountains? Yeah, yes. you're at water. It involves water, doesn't it? Okay, I thought this was going to be one of those things where nobody knows where a fjord is, but it turns out I was the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's exactly what you said. Yes, it's a it's a kind of an inlet with water. It's a ravine. <laughs> it's always by the sea. It seems like. like an <laughs> yeah. Seems like. So my my subject this week is the country of Norway, and um, I don't know about you, but one of my sort of coping mechanisms both for this pandemic and I think for my life as mm. well, is um, getting randomly interested in countries where I've never been and I don't know anyone. Yes. Um, and, like, I, I remember, you know when you're when you're a kid and you get those, like, little um, journals to fill out and says, like, my name is X, my, my hobbies are this, my pet's name is this. I yeah. found one of those belonging to me from when I was nine and it said, my name is Caroline, I am nine, my hobbies are Egypt. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah because all school Aww. teaches you is like the pyramids <laughs> i know and then do you remember as well like i was obsessed with this magazine that used to go out where you know how like in the 90s was a big time for magazines with a free thing yes mm. and the free thing with this would be like um the the sort of a, a tiny plasticky black sculpture of like an egyptian bust and like oh. it would be like Nefertiti and Horus and all these gods and stuff. And I had like my collection of them and they were like my most precious thing. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> I, can, I can see that. I can see you being big on Egypt. Yeah. 
love Egypt. What did you guys have like a particular like subject like the Romans or something like that that you got really into? Egypt was probably it because there was a lot of mystique around Egypt. Like the and pyramids. also it's very femme as well. Yes. Like Cleopatra and um you know the Cats. pyramids were like it was always like I remember we had to devise, you know, traps that we could have in the pyramids so that people couldn't <gasps> raid them and Oh that's good. You know because they had like loads of traps to stop anybody like robbing them because obviously in the middle was a king with like shitloads of gold while the people starved <laughs> yeah and also like the mummy with brendan fraser was like the height exactly. of our sexual yeah. awakening i feel as a generation you know, stuff's gonna happen so yeah I feel like <laughs> stuff's gonna happen yeah so this would be an amazing intro for a subject about egypt but <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually not it's actually not so that has manifested um this week for me because it's very cold and snowy and you know when, like, in England, when it's been snowing for more than two days and you feel really proud of yourself for being really casual about how it's snowing outside? Yeah. And so I've just been walking around the house pretending I'm from Norway. <laughs> and it's just me being like, I'm from Norway and this is normal. <laughs> <laughs> this is a lovely summer we're having. <laughs> And, like, I started saying that as a joke and then my phone was clearly listening to me because then, like, I, the next day I started reading a book and it, it was um, a book by Jenny Slate, but she in it she goes to Norway for, like a, like, a long chapter and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Weird that Norway's come up again. And then the next day I was on my Instagram and suddenly I was looking at Norwegian fjord horses and I was like, you know, I just kind of kept... Norway kept happening to me. Yeah. <laughs> you remind me of myself so much when you, like, really fad on something hard and then you have to get it out there that like you really want to go you're hoping that someone will be like i own this cabin in a picturesque fjord oh my god that is the number one way in which you and i are the same i know we just like we just were very the secret if we just like put it out there it will happen um but so i started putting out on my social media i was like i would like to begin a diplomatic relationship with norway now please um and so basically message me and if you're from norway i'll send you one of my books for free and luckily, only two people took me up on this because <laughs> now that we're not in the European Union anymore, it's very expensive to send things to Norway. So oh, it's no. just like this, this sort of practical joke with myself cost me £20 and I hope it works. But they're not in the <laughs> European Union, famously. OK, maybe it's just expensive to send things to Norway then. That's probably why it was expensive. Oh, they're in they're in bits of it, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're a, they're oh, a they complex Europe, country. Yeah. And, you know, for that reason, it is really hard to do an entire country as a subject for a poorly researched podcast, (laughs) whereupon we spend 15 minutes trying to condense something. So I don't really have a narrative of of Norway, but I do have what I'm going to call Caroline's Norway Nuggets. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. And in the meantime, we can imagine that you're like driving us around the fjords in a a kind of, you know big bus i'm wrapped up in a very in very cute layers yeah exactly i'm from norway and this is normal is this yeah. yeah i'm from and meanwhile, norway me and alex are like looking out the window like we're really near the edge here like, yeah she, can you drive she have a license <laughs> <laughs> she she ain't allowed to do this um so i thought i would start with something that would uh, engage you alex because uh, i didn't know this but norway and scotland have a very uh close relationship did you know this oh I didn't really. I feel like there's one anecdote in the back of my head that's like trying to push through, but I wouldn't have said they had a close relationship. No, I didn't know that. Um, well, so well, Orkney for one is um was first discovered by the Norwegians, and it's named after one of their people, 
Orkney oh. sounds Norwegian. We all get that. But yeah. um, so, have you ever heard of Margaret Maid of Norway? No. no. So she is technically like one of the Scottish queens, and she oh. was Norwegian. <gasps> and it's a very interesting story, actually. So let's take us back to the 13th <laughs> century. We're uh, in Scotland. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is very shit. That's my impression. <laughs> Everything's very shit. Everyone's dying of dysentery all the time. All there's like on, like constant like clan warfare. We've all seen Braveheart. Everyone lives in a hut. Yes. Um, and so w- within this sort of like long period of like a lot of hassle, like a lot like a lot of like big like rough tokes for Scotland happening. Yeah. Um, we get Alexander, King Alexander the Third, and he sort of represents the longest period of like Scottish stability. I think during this sort of this Middle Ages period, um, and he dies quickly, and everyone's bummed. And w- un- unfortunately, the preceding ten years of Alexander the Third's life is like literally everyone he knows dying uh, of you know of death, just because it's yeah, you know, it's that will do it for you. Yeah, it's like twelve. It's twelve fifty. Everyone's dying for no reason. Yeah, and uh, so he has he has these sons. They die really quickly. His wife dies. Um, he tries to get remarried to this lady called Yolanda, and uh, then he's riding through the night to get to her so he can shag her and put a baby in her, and uh, dies on the way to, to oh, doing that. God. I know, awful. And so like everyone is like really bummed about this because nobody wants to end this sort of this level of like Scottish the era of Scottish stability and nobody wants all this clan warfare again and they're like right we have to like we have to maintain this supremacy here so what what they have is the only living relative of Alexander III is basically his oldest daughter was married off to the Prince of Norway years before and the Prince of Norway at the time she was 20 he was 13 oh what yeah <laughs> Yeah, and like, despite the fact that like, I know there's there's, there's there's very much like a thing of like, let's not like glamorize these sort of like pedophilic relationships when they're the other way around, because I think people do, you know, when it's like, when it's a, a young girl and an old man, it's like everyone gets disgusting. But sometimes yeah. there's, a, there's a temptation when it's the other way around of being like, well, I bet he was thrilled with himself. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No way, what a lad. <laughs> what a lad. But like, the Norwegians still very much see it this way. <laughs> They're oh. still like so. Um, so qu- qu- like um, Queen Margaret, who was sent over from Scotland to Norway, Alexander the Third's daughter. They still um call her um the it, the translation of it is like the the queen who made a man of our king. Wow. <laughs> Basically, the woman who took our king's V plates. <laughs> yeah, there and there's like statues to her over there, and they're still like they're very, like, very sex positive about this, uh, you know, Scottish woman. So they they have a kid who is Margaret, the maid of Norway, and when she is still like a very small baby, like her her grandfather Alexander the Third dies, and Scotland is like, okay, well, Margaret Maid of Norway is gonna be our queen now because she is literally all we have. Also, her mother, Margaret Senior, um, she dies in childbirth, so like she's a no go as well. God, she's um, leaving two kids, her husband and her kid. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And at this point, Alexa um King Eric, who is um now king of Norway, he is like 
I'm not going to give my only daughter to Scotland because it seems awful there. And also, you guys still owe me money because you never paid for the dowry of my now dead wife. So oh I'm just, God. I'm just not gonna give you my daughter, which is a kind of a a level of protectiveness over daughters you don't often see in history, which yeah. I enjoy. And so it becomes this thing of it's a bit like you know when you're a kid and you want to convince your parents that you can have a dog. And you're like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll be, I'll be like, you know, super, I'll look after it myself. I swear it'll be the happiest yeah. dog ever. I'll take it for a walk every day. <laughs> and your parents are like, well, we, you, we couldn't trust you with literally anything before this. So why would we trust you now? And they're like, oh, cause I'll care more this time. Like it's that, but the yeah. dog is Margaret made of Norway, who's, <laughs> who's, who's a one year old. And so they do all these things to try and convince Norway that it can be done and that she'd have a nice time. And one of the things that they do is they get 13 men to um like swear an oath of like chivalry to Margaret the Maid of Norway. I and they're watch like this film now. I know it's really it's so like it's so King Arthur and his round table because it's like them really dedicated to this idea of like they're all gonna like band together and protect this woman with their lives and like anyone who tries to come after her throne they'll like murder them and stuff. Right. Wow. And so they and, and also the King of England says that he'll like get his kid to marry her and will create this big union and they basically fight for years for her to come over to Scotland and be their sort of heir to the throne. And then they finally get her over and she dies on the way. Oh. No! And she's seven. Oh. I know. It's bad. It's really bad. Do they know what she died of? Yeah. What the hell was happening on these ships? I think, well, there's kind of, you know, food poisoning maybe. We don't really know. Um, but it didn't even end there because a few years later, we have the case of the false Margaret. <gasps> yeah. So a woman, it's like very, it's very like Anastasia. It's this woman who's like way older than Margaret would have been. She's like, she, she arrives on the scene being like, yeah, I didn't die. I was taken to Germany by force by pirates and they made me married some German guy. And now I'm finally here and I'm ready to be the Queen of Scotland. What? And so that's they someone that's do... heard the story and thought, give this a go. I mean, what an opportunist. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And so the Scottish, I think, treat this with, with the appropriate dis- disdain that it deserves and they burn her at the stake. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you lying witch. <laughs> you lying witch. So that was um, my number one Norway nugget. Did you enjoy that nugget? I did. Yes. Here's some more Norway nuggets. Uh Norway inventions. Uh, a Norwegian invented the paperclip. Oh. <laughs> which, is, like, doesn't that, like, the paperclip, I've never really thought about it before, but doesn't it seem like the unbelievably, the, the most Scandi design thing ever? Yes. It, yeah. Like, even if you think about it, just looking at it, you're like, yes, of course. <laughs> it's the stationary equivalent of, like, the sort of frameless glasses a Scandi architect would wear. Yeah, yeah. Very that, yeah. Sleek design. It's only like actually one piece of mm. wire. Efficient, useful. Yeah. Efficient, useful, has a job, does it perfectly. Yeah. And they also invented salmon sushi. Oh. 
Not Japan. Not Japan. So apparently Japan literally like shunned raw salmon for like most of its history. And then a Norwegian who is called the most Norwegian thing I've ever heard, which was Bjorn Erik Olsen. <laughs> it's like the grab bag of Scandi names. Yeah. Um, he went over there in the 70s and he was like, you know, this would be great with some raw salmon. And uh, he took 15 years to sell raw salmon into Japan and eventually did it. And now sushi has changed forever. Because salmon's like the main one. I know. I would have thought of salmon as being the main one also. Well, there you go. He's got his wish. So I think the mistake that lots of people make about Scandinavia, I think a lot of people are really fascinated by Scandinavian countries because it seems like they get things right so much of the time yeah like it's the thing of like the the government looks after you really well like taxes are really high but also like infrastructure is really good and like basically there's there's no such thing as sort of being abandoned by the state in the same way people are so frequently abandoned here or in the u.s and i think we really do glorify that and we should glorify those things and we should like ape like look to be aping those things but like yeah it's not as if that the old scandinavian countries have the same perfect lefty outlook like norway actually the ruling party has been center right for quite some time oh that's weird yeah think of that yeah and like while there is this really like robust welfare system it's also it doesn't see itself as socialist as all it seems to see itself as like quite sort of capitalist because it has all this kind of oil money and it's quite nouveau riche. There's also this thing of like, you know how here there's this sort of joke that, you know, an Irishman, a Welshman and a Scotsman kind of thing? Yeah. Well, there's also the same in Scandinavia where it's like a Swede, a Dane and a Norwegian. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, of course it would be. Of course they'd have their own things where it's like Swedes are super like sensible in, in this sort of like idea. And then Danish people are like super hedonistic because they love sort of drinking beer and taking drugs. And Norwegian people are always portrayed as being like country bumpkins who have got like a fishing harpoon with them or something. <laughs> and they really resent this. <laughs> They're like, are... we're actually very cerebral. <laughs> We invented the paperclip. Yeah. We brought salmon to Japan. Yeah. (laughs) But then, like, so there's this thing of, like, as I was just saying a minute ago, of um, the state welfare system being incredibly good. And I think this is common across most Scandinavian countries where people tend to trust the state and and trust that the, the government is sort of keeping its own face clean. But there's also this thing that's happening in Norway over the last few years. And honestly, I listened to the most harrowing BBC World Service I've ever heard today. And that is a steep contest. Um, Whoa. So here, if you have a child and that child is being abused or neglected, it's actually very difficult for that child to be taken away from you. And like, you know, everyone knows someone who works in, you know, a school who has a horrible story about a kid who's being abused and who like no one is doing anything. In Norway it's actually the reverse in that it seems as if the child protection services act so quickly to the point where it's way too quick and way too strict. So I listened to a story today done by the BBC and I really recommend listening to it. It's fascinating and terrifying of basically this um, this family who the father was deemed like simple 
And like that's that's literally what they put on the kind of report. They like mm. he's a he's um simple and he can't meet the emotional needs of his child. Where like he's just, you know, this guy is a bit like withdrawn or whatever. He's not particularly talkative or something. And the his baby was taken away from him with absolutely no interview or anything. Oh my god. Basically wow. they just decided and now it's been taken away from him and like the the process for him to visit his baby again is really really protracted and this other family who like they had five kids all five kids were taken away from them because they spanked one of their kids God. but like none of the kids had any sort of evidence of you know physical trauma really yeah and so it's this thing and like the, that that sort of sounds like a few fringe cases but then it was the psychiatrist lady from Norway who was saying like yeah like you know 140 of us have signed this letter saying that the state has way too much control in this area and it's being abused and people are like not seeing their children for years at a time over like accusations that are tiny and like not substantiated by anything mm. and um I, it really reminds me because one of my oldest friends is Swedish and I often Salt Erickson her name is if if she's listening um and she I always kind of go, come to her with these like oh I wish the rest of the world was like Scandinavia and you guys are so great and she's saying like she often says to me you know it sometimes can be a burden when people trust the state too much and it means when right. the state fuck up that often no one will hold it accountable because everyone is so married to the idea of mm. this being this perfect government because it's kind of a propaganda that gets pushed out into the world. Yeah. You know? And, like, lots of them love the idea that, you know, globally, these countries are seen as being extremely forward and progressive and sometimes they sort of swallow their own story a little too much and it prevents people criticising bad actors, you know? Which I found oh. really interesting and quite tragic. Yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah. So... Kids aren't with their mums and dads, but all the paperwork that has allowed that to happen is very neatly clipped together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And everyone's having a delicious salmon lunch. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And also, uh, they have some great horses. Yeah, I want to hear about the fjord ponies. Oh my god. They're so nice. There are so many like amazing horse influencers from Norway and I'm following so many of them. I'll put together a list. But like fjord horses, they're just like, you know, like Palomino ponies. Mm. So they're like, they're kind of like uh, gingery. Blonde. Yeah, like yeah. blondy. But I was like... going to say, remember, you're, you guys are horse people. I, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so they're, imagine like a really squashed, stout Palomino pony. It's Lovely. Nice. <laughs> and are they hairy because it's cold? Yeah, and they've got like thicker hair and they've got, yeah, Aww. they're just, I'll show you some to look at. If you like horses, Norwegian horses are what you want to look at. And if you're from Norway, Very please cute. invite me over and I will not criticize the state as I just have now. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Caroline's Norwegian Nuggets. Woo! I enjoyed Woo! it. Thank you. How do you say goodbye huh? in Norwegian? How do you say goodbye in Norwegian? Flar. <laughs> Flar. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine. How quickly you just had that flower. <laughs> flower. Love it. I'm going to look it up. Goodbye in Norwegian. I bet it's Ha, I liked your one better. Hello, 
am I right in thinking that your segment is about to be the best segment we've ever done on this show? Oh, I don't know, Caroline. It might just be uh, not quite as good as any of the other ones. Um, I'm just joking. Obviously, it's going to be amazing because I am doing a segment on optimism. Oh, lovely. Something we all need a huge dose of in this shit show. (laughs) Mm, Absolutely. True words never spoken. Yeah, I, I decided to pick this because basically, like... You know, in the, in the words of absolutely everyone, oh, we're all having a hard time right now. And, um, you know, lots of people basically are looking for reasons to be optimistic, like reasons to be um, cheerful. And so I messaged you guys the other day because I said that I found a lot of people on my social media talking about what time the sun was setting, being like, oh, it's set after five today. Oh, yeah. by next month, it mm. will be setting after 6 p.m. Oh, in summer, it will set at like 9 p.m. And it's like, yeah, that's how it works, guys. Like <laughs> Works that way every year. I am one of that crew, but I just don't. I just haven't put it anywhere. No, that's I. I that's fine. I'm fine with that. It's it's like, but it, it seems like on my social media feeds it's become a competition. Like, who's the first person every day that can tell me what time the sun sets? And like, oh uh, right, like every day, really, genuinely every day. Anyway, I find that um, very annoying, and I'm a bit too <laughs> cynical for it. But I think overall, I am mostly an optimist, and like, I tend to kind of if someone's being annoying. I tend to kind of be like, oh, well, maybe they this or like, oh, uh, perhaps they just, you know, are having a bad day or whatever. Um, yeah. Although I am also cynical, I reckon. But interestingly, first fact, they th- the scientists that think that optimism and pessimism are not like on the same scale. So it's not like either or you can be both. So I find that. So I, I don't know. I think that maybe I'm like an optimist and a pessimist. Uh, what do you guys think you are? Uh, I'm definitely an optimist. Put to the point of, I'd probably say, irritation. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you are really optimistic. Yeah, you definitely are. I'm a bitch, uh, but I'm optimistic. <laughs> yeah, and also, I think the, the true test of an optimistic person and why I know you are one is you're, you find it really easy to get, like, G'd up for other people. Mm. Yeah. Like, you're, you're a really good hype man, which is what makes you such a good friend. Oh, thanks. Aww. That's because I'm a tiger mum of any of your achievements. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I'm pretty optimistic. Uh, which is a really Eeyore way of saying that, but no, I think yeah. I'm, I'm a generally <laughs> I like. I think I'm optimistic. Um, I I th- I would think I yeah I think I'm generally like a fairly sunny person, and I think for a writer, I'm a pretty of the of that profession. I'm like a pretty optimistic person because oh, it's a very dour writer, yeah. profession. Jesus Christ! Yeah, I think my most pessimistic attribute is that I tend to it's like actually you know the Norwegian thing is a good example of it it's like I'm I feel like I tend to look for flaws and loopholes in what seems like a good system like so for example you know a a robust social welfare state but does that mean that people don't question the state enough and the state gets away with more things like so Mm. I tend I tend to look for those things a lot but yeah, so maybe that I think that's the way in which I'm pessimistic. But I feel like that's more that's more from a place of like wanting to interrogate stuff rather than being pessimistic. Yeah, I do think that's pessimistic. Maybe we're all optimistic then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we are. I like that. I like um, it too. So I feel I feel like I'd always assumed that optimism was very situational. That you know, if you know, like us, you were born in like a fairly wealthy country and you know had education and like a family and stuff like you'd probably be more optimistic but actually some of optimism is inherited 
like through wow. your jeans. Uh, so I would cool. say yeah, I would totally see that with my dad. My dad's the same as me. Yeah, yeah. and you also you you do meet those miserable families. Oh, you know where everyone's grey. <laughs> oh, everyone's as my dad as my dad would say. Everyone's dour. Dour, <laughs> dour. Oh, she's a she's a dour faced biddy. <laughs> That's what my dad would say. It's like yeah. a miserable woman. Love it. But I, I don't know. I would have assumed that even then it was because of the environment in which the kids were brought up that they were like, oh, okay, well, this is like they were learning how to see the world through their parents' actions and words and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that they'd be like, oh, okay, so when you get given a chocolate, you're meant to think, oh, why isn't this a Twix? It's only a Mars bar. Rather than, I don't know, getting it and being like, yes, better than no chocolate at all. Yeah, um, a minute ago, I didn't have a Twix. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like, like so 50%, this is a recent studies, 50% of our optimism is inherited from our genes. Absolutely loads. And then 40% is determined by ourselves intrinsically. And only 10% by others in, as in the environment in which we de- develop like our like our family and stuff oh. which I think is crazy 50% inherited from your genes and it's all to do with um, the hormone oxytocin which is the like love and sort of bonding mm. hormone um, and they reckon that yeah there's some I mean if you're a scientist this would be completely wrong if you're not then pretend that I know what I'm saying but yeah. basically there's like something in the gene which is inherited which sort of allows you to create more oxytocin or like makes you better at creating it which is crazy isn't it that makes sense though I guess like because I kind of feel like whatever situation I was in my surface mood would change but the core of me would still be like well I'll make the best out of whatever this is yeah 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 yeah. yeah. and it is just hormones isn't it like if someone would say to you you know you would inherit a sort of tendency to create more testosterone um, from your parents you'd be like yep makes sense yeah but but somehow when it comes to like personality stuff we're like no it's like i don't know well caroline you've got three three siblings are they all optimists mm. <laughs> <laughs> pass <laughs> yeah the thing i was thinking is that my sister jill is like i would call her a pessimist in that she does tend to see the worst side of things and the the upshot of that is that she's incredibly smart and um she's got a she's just got got a great mind and a better mind than i do but the the bad part of that is that she's often unhappy (laughs) or no i think you know actually i think it's more of a perception thing in that like sometimes she'll be having a whinge to me about something and i'll be like but what about this but what about that and she'll be like well no it's not like that because of the government's this and this it means that this and this and i'm like oh and I, I interpret that as being her being unhappy, but actually this is just how she processes things and she's perfectly happy herself. It's actually, I don't think yeah. these things are necessarily related to being inherently miserable, if you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah. And yeah, pessimism yeah. isn't always equated with misery as, as, uh, as directly as you'd think. You know, you might be, if you, can, if you don't conflate how you feel about things to your actual mood... Like, you can be angry and see the bad in things quite a lot, but then be like, well, can't do anything about it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Happy yeah. pessimist. 
Yeah. Apparently though, apparently though, like the majority of people are optimists. Like it's more common to be an optimist than a pessimist. And I'm I'm saying that as if it's a binary thing. Obviously, it's not. And I think there are a lot of people who are just kind of like midway on. Yeah. There was a scale, a kind of midway on the scale, or like a bit of both. But there's there's a study that says sixty percent of people are optimists, and there's another one that says eighty percent of people are optimists, which is quite nice. Which is an an optimistic um, study. It's an optimistic study, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And like, and as well, like research shows that um, optimism is correlated with lots of like positive life outcomes, like increased life expectancy, better health, better mental health, um, increased success in sports and work, oh. um, greater recovery rates from heart operations, and better coping strategies when faced with adversity. Which is like, I mean, it all kind of makes sense, and it all makes sense as well why we're so obsessed with it even in like non-pandemic times like if you google optimism you just get there's like basically nothing apart from how to be more optimistic here are seven tips of like how to be more optimistic here are five habits of optimistic people and it's just like it's all relentlessly like pushing pushing optimism on you just start taking antidepressants it sounds like release oxytocin into your system yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's just i don't know it's seen as a very i think it's seen as a very positive trait right now a negative thing though is that it's linked to lateness because if you're apparently if you're an optimist you're like oh it's fine i'll be able to get it done i'll be able to do that and that yeah Mm. so you attribute you think you can do more than you and then you end up being late which is me all the time yeah i have elements of that definitely so yeah, and then I got to thinking about um, I got I've been watching Sex in the City, so I got to thinking. So I got to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I was thinking about um, being Pollyanna-ish because that's a phrase that I never really understood. But Caroline, I feel like you'll know what that where that kind of comes. Yeah, from. Yeah, I, I just I feel embarrassed now because I do say it a lot, and people often don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, and it, Pollyanna-ish, I think it's based on a literary character. I've never read this book, but it was a kid's book. And I, Pollyanna is like, oh, well, if we just pull together and then everything will be fine. And yes, da-da-da. exactly. Yeah. I think I've seen the film. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I think I think there is a film of it. Yeah, so this book, um, and it's called Pollyanna. And the phrase is like, oh, you're being a Pollyanna or about something. Or like, yeah, being Pollyanna-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, there's this woman called Eleanor Porter who wrote this book. It was published in 1913. It's this orphan who goes to live with her aunt who's not very nice to her and she puts her in all these annoying situations. Um, like like one time she punishes her by giving her like bread and milk for dinner and sending her to like eat dinner with the nanny in the mm-hmm. kitchen. Um, no. And Pollyanna is like, oh, well, I like bread and milk and I like my nanny. <laughs> <laughs> I see. And, yeah. and basically the whole thing is that she plays this game called the um, Glad game, which her dad taught her before he died um, oh. of any situation to look at it and think what am I glad about in this situation I have to find one thing that I'm glad about in this situation and so she comes to this town where her aunt lives and like has all these different situations and finds something glad every single time and kind of starts it starts rubbing off on the townspeople and they kind of start to be like oh well maybe I'm glad about this and then Pollyanna gets run over (gasps) and And, lo- and loses the use of her legs and Christ she's in hospital alive. I know and she's in hospital like you know contemplating a life where she can't walk anymore and is like fuck this this is really annoying I don't really you know I'm not really glad about this 
but then all the people in the town come and visit her and are like, do you know what, Pollyanna? Like, you've done a really nice thing teaching us to be glad and this is what I'm glad about. And then she's like, okay, we'll be glad. And then she, I don't know, gets the use of her legs back anyway somehow. She recovers. Wow. Um, they just did it to teach her a lesson. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's quite an interesting message about, like, your influence on other people, though, and, like, karma, I guess. It's all, it's all yeah. coming back to her. Mm. Um, but I was really interested in the fact that it was published in 1913, right? Because that was just before World oh, War God, I, was like yeah. 1914 to 18. And I was kind of like, wouldn't you in 1914 read that book that was published last year and be like, fuck you, Pollyanna. Like, <laughs> yeah, like read the yeah. room. Yeah, three of my brothers are dead. Like, fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But apparently it was a bestseller during World War One, and it continued to be a bestseller throughout the Second World War as well. Huh. And people even, like, formed... You know, I said she, she has this game called The Glad Game, and people formed, like, glad clubs of their own. Oh, that's cute. And would cute. be, like, like, got really into it. Probably because they needed that hope and optimism in the war. And if you, Exactly. And you weren't in... As long as you weren't in the war, you were like, well, I hope they're okay out there, I hope this and that, or whatever. Yeah. I totally, yeah. um, I completely see that though, because if you think as well of like times within our living history where pessimism was popular, and what I'm thinking of specifically is like kind of 90s era grunge. I feel like it's very pessimistic yeah. in its outlook as an art form, like kind of South Park, that sort of like quite nasty boy humor that was like quite big in like the, like I'm gonna call it the turn of the century. Yeah. And like, and like, they, I feel like there was a good like, 10 12 years there where pessimism as an artistic outlook reigned supreme and i feel like that was happening during one of the most like economically stable and and outwardly peaceful times for most white westerners of the Mm. last hundred years and i do think that when when people are left to like just enjoy their sort of their money and wealth or whatever that is when people tend to get the most negative like there's this thing that my mom used to always say to me is that because obviously Ireland has had lots of economic recessions and she always says um you know we're not we're not good with money like we the Irish because Mm -hmm. like like, every time people have money in this country they become mean and shit like she was like the Celtic (laughs) like the Celtic Tiger which was this like really economically great time for Ireland it's like people were awful to each other in a way that I've never experienced before or since you know right yeah so I do think that makes sense. It's almost like that. Um, the, the only thing I do have is like when things are going too well in my head, I always go, what's going to go wrong? What's going to yeah. go wrong? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do know what you mean. Yeah. So it's yeah, almost yeah. like that. We have to we have to f- um, create and falsify that pessimism with grunge because then it balances out the fact that everyone's everything's going quite nicely for everyone. Yeah. yeah so we yeah. have to like yeah. forge forge the sadness <laughs> the teenagers teenagers are always doing something wrong aren't they you know? yeah yeah that's true <laughs> whatever they're doing it's bad i do feel wrong. as well though that like because you know for example this this moment that we're all in right now um i feel like there's an increased sense of like as as Hannah was just saying at the beginning of the segment like you know look the sun is rising a little bit earlier and it's setting a little bit later isn't it great i saw a crocus today yeah you know all, the, all that stuff um i feel like we wouldn't be doing that in a normal year we would just yes, be like yeah. talking about the latest in you know what company or public figure is being problematic for some kind of yeah. vague reason that we don't quite understand but we're still pissed off about you know yeah probably it makes um, it does it sounds like a massive cliche but it's true that it's started to make you appreciate things you can focus on that are good 
Rather the small than, things. Oh, yeah. that phrase. Oh, so it's the much. little things. The yeah, little that's things. why I yeah. say the phrase little things because I do hate it. But yeah. things that you wouldn't usually be actively grateful for, you're kind of like, oh, well, at least there's that. At least there's <laughs> that, exactly. Yeah. But I just find it interesting that, that basically that yeah being a Pollyanna has kind of become a negative thing now and it's like it's associated with being uncritical and a bit stupid like yeah. sort of too optimistic and like you're not not living in reality yeah. yeah I just think that's interesting and I have one final story to end which is absolutely brilliant um this is going to seem like a massive segue in 1941 wow. right the <laughs> the USSR and Britain um obviously allied against German forces there was this British submarine captain who uh, mentioned to this USSR captain that his wife was having trouble pushing her pram in the snow and this Soviet admiral was like oh you know you need a reindeer ha 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 so they gave this submarine captain a reindeer and the crew you know they're like in the middle of the sea somewhere I don't know yeah and they're like fucking hell now we've got this reindeer in our submarine and they called it Pollyanna like a like a toy reindeer or what? No, like an actual real reindeer in, in a, a submarine, submarine under the sea. They were given like a teenage reindeer to to take home in their submarine. Yes. Oh my! God. <laughs> How do you? Aren't submarines famously quite small? Yes, yes, I think so. But but wow. but the whole the whole connection here is that the crew they called it Pollyanna because I think they were like, well, we can't say no to this gift because you know like we're mates with this with the USSR, but like it's a bit tense. So we're just going to call it Pollyanna and make the best best out of it. Hope for the best. That's so cute. I love that. As a symbol of hope. Imagine being the first the first and only reindeer on a on a submarine like what the fuck is Exactly. This? So they took they got a barrel of moss for the reindeer, but um but it ate all. So then they had to like the reindeer was like just trotting around the submarine like eating people's scraps. Um it got really into drinking condensed milk for some reason they had oh. a lot of condensed milk. Ooh. And and Pollyanna so would cute. sleep under the captain's bed and apparently she ate a navigation map once. Um, and, and they all died. <laughs> I love this. And then what happened to Pollyanna in the end? Well, so after a few weeks, they got back to the UK. But because of all the condensed milk that this reindeer had eaten, she oh, was like right. too fat to fit out of the torpedo tube, which is how they were thinking they could get her out. And so they had to get a winch. They had to get a dockside winch. Um, this is all <laughs> on a BBC article. It's amazing. They got a dockside winch with some assistance from a crewman with a broom. Finally managed to get Pollyanna squeezed out of the submarine and onto dry land. There's your Christmas film. <laughs> I know. And then they gave her to Regent's Park Zoo and she lived um, the rest of her life there. Oh! That's a way better story than Margaret made of Norway who died in transit. <laughs> I was going to say, and also reindeer are often, you know, they've probably got them in Norway, so maybe that was the karma right? of Margaret made of Norway. This is like, this is a big episode for symbolic journeys for female figureheads. Yes. 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 <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So every episode we like to end on a smart lesson, which is where we try and teach each other the ins and outs of how to be a smart lady in the modern world. And Alex, you're currently trying for a baby, but what would you do if it ever achieved global fame? Thank you, Caroline. Yes, I am trying to uh, reproduce asexually as we speak. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, No, today's smart lesson is how to have a famous child. Now, there's a three-pronged attack to this. I'm going to talk you through each one. Um, it's how to have a famous child if you are already famous. That's prong mm-hmm. one. How to have a famous child if you are a muggle and mm-hmm. your child becomes famous. Number three, how to ensure that you create a famous child. So it's the long game. I see. You know, you're actively trying. Um, that's, that's prong three is you, is it? Prong three is me, yes. <laughs> trying to have a... What are you on about? I'm famous. Um, <laughs> Uh, so prong one, how to have a famous child if you yourself are famous, very problematic. It often goes wrong, I feel. Mm. Name a child that's very famous with a very famous parent that isn't slightly cuckoo, you know? Like, oh. think about Jaden Smith. He's not, you know, there's there's something going on there. He's not okay. Yeah, and Willow. Um, and, yeah, Willow seems a bit more down to earth, I think. But um, the yeah. Beckham children do seem all right, actually. But I would obviously say that because I love the Beckhams and I'll never speak ill Yeah, them. but did you see that tattoo? Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that was a worry for us all. Um, Brooklyn Beckham has had the eyes of his fiance and a love note that she Ooh. wrote and tattooed onto the back of his neck. Not okay. Not all right. Not okay. Come oh, on, no. Brooklyn, for God's sake. <laughs> um, I feel like there is definitely a realm of people who are kind of... Um, their, their their parents were like quite famous but not crazy famous like um Zoe Kravitz like her yes well they her... were pretty famous I yeah no pretty famous, famous parents yeah but you know what I, what I mean to say is that she's you know it seems like a very well adjusted cool person yeah my favorite ones are the ones that have a different surname to their parents and sort of like semi go under the radar like I'm pretty sure Meryl Streep's daughter is an actor oh yes yeah, she is yes Mamie Gummer. Yes, what a horrible yeah. name, oh, start God, to finish. horrible name. <laughs> it's, it's weird because she tries to go under the radar, but she's also in a lot of movies with her mom, so it's like, pick one, you know? <laughs> Either benefit from being part of the Streep dynasty or don't. Like, Yeah, well, actually, one of my tips um, for if, you, if you're famous and you've got a famous child, to try and 
um, keep them as least annoying as possible is to never allow them in an interview to say, I actually think I got here by chance, just like if my mum and dad was anyone else. No, you didn't. (laughs) Or, no, what's even worse is when they get asked questions about, like, oh, do you think it has anything to do with your mum? And they go... Well, yes, my mother certainly encouraged creativity in the household, if that's what you mean. It's like, that's not what (laughs) anyone means. What we mean is, like, did you get personally introduced to Martin Scorsese at your bar mitzvah? Like, come on, we all know what we're talking about. Of course you did. (laughs) (laughs) But sure, she let me draw in the house. Yeah, Yeah, and and that's the thing as well. And I think... There's two paths that you can go. So let's, if we're taking Zoe Kravitz as a sort of example, she is kind of, she seems well adjusted and quite cool and everything because it's all relative for her, right? So she's Mm. just like, well, that's just how people grow up. So she hasn't had a Mm. self-awareness almost, um, not her personally, but those sorts of famous kids. Like George Mm. Clooney, his his auntie was Rosemary Clooney, who was like an old school Hollywood actress. So I always Mm. think the reason he's so down to earth is because he probably just grew up around it and didn't think it was weird. Um, mm. But then I feel like the the stars of kids are the ones who uh, that go, you know, completely off the wall is like they are trying to push the envelope even further. But they've already grown up in a way that was so. Mm, it's very live you know, Nelly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. They've already grown up in a, in a world that's so extreme and so abnormal and stuff. But then they're trying to do their sort of push the boundary they're trying to yeah, do what like their parents did rebellion. yeah yeah but they can't do it anymore because it's their realms of normal are completely fucked <laughs> yeah. so um i'd say try and keep it all relative don't make them out don't like uh get them to do interviews where they constantly talk about how there wasn't actually any different for them and how their parents made them get a saturday job no <laughs> no no all right now if you're not famous just a couple of tips here really but you have a famous child Try and blag a travel show with them. Divorce your oh. partner. Divorce your partner and then start sleeping with middle-aged C-listers you meet at parties because you've now got a bit of fame. Is that, are we up. talking... Are we subtweeting Jack Whitehall, by the way? Is that what this it's is? It's not just him. It's... it's uh, uh-huh. Ramesh no, there's so many. That. There's yeah, uh, Russell Ryan, Howard. Bradley Walsh and his son. Oh, everybody. Absolutely everybody, everybody yeah. has this. It's so, subtweeting it's, all of them. <laughs> yes, all of them, but the, but no women are allowed this genre. It's only it's only oh well, Ramesh has his mum actually. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a very very common genre. But ideally, as the parent of a famous person, that's what you want because you've sort of got the level of fame which you know you've probably got a Nando's black card, but you're not going to be stopped in the street. Mm. The I, I feel like balance. my dad is so angry to not have this level of fame. Like my dad <laughs> is absolutely dying and crying out for him to have the kind of role in culture where he's like goggle box sort of you know oh just a nice man who says cookie things and it's like slightly controversial sometimes and oh isn't he all saying what we're all thinking that yeah. kind of thing That's, he so is... your dad wants to be like the Irish Danny Dyer a little bit yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, but I think he wants to be full of like folksy wisdom though you know yes I could see your dad in that role oh don't don't indulge him <laughs> <laughs> Ever. I can't wait till you have to bring him on stage with you at like Hay Literary Festival because he's garnered his own corner of fame. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that's basically your only rule if you grow up with a famous per- Oh, also just, you know, kind of be their sort of cool date at parties or pre- premieres so that they don't seem like they're a top shagger all the time. That's yeah. how you cope with that. Mm. Um the uh, the last prong is how to engineer having a famous child. Now, this takes a lot of work. 
Um, you have to take them to drama club, music club. You have to encourage everything. You have to turn them into a brat from an early age. Mm. Um, and it's basically so that in interviews when they're older, they can say, my mum and dad gave me everything. They drove me to all my... And then they repeat everything that you did where you gave up your life for them for mm. 20 years. Um, you also have to fill your house with interesting people and music all the time so they can say that in interviews when they're older as well. Oh, yeah. Um, and also, like, my mum just filled her house with books. Yeah. Fill, um, <laughs> oh, filled them. Fill there them. are always people in and out. And you know what? Nine out of ten times when I'm reading an interview with, like, a new model or a new musician or whatever... You'll find out, you'll be like, oh God, they really did make it from nothing. And then halfway through it will be like, and her mum was actually uh, Minnie yeah. Ripperton. And, uh, and she, her uncle was Richard her Branson. Was, yeah. <laughs> her house was filled with the Queen of England when she was growing up. Like, and you were like, oh, for fuck's sake. Interesting fact, Minnie Ripperton's daughter is Maya Rudolph off of SNL and Bridesmaids. Oh. Um, oh. Yeah. And uh, you also... My top tip would be ignore them whilst doing all of this so that they do also crave attention, which will help with mm. trying to garner the fame. Um, so any other any other tips? That, that's my three-pronged tips for having a famous child. Oh, maybe have a spat with them if they piss you off. Leak something about them to the press, you know? Keep them on their toes. That seems, that seems wise. Um, yeah, I, f- I feel like I'm really interested in what Jamie Oliver's doing with his kids because he's got one of his sons i mean we've talked about his kids names before i don't know what oh yeah they're all called like what rain droplet on a leaf oliver but he's like basically cultivating him into sort of like a child like a child version of jamie oliver and he's got like on his website because jamie oliver's recipe website is very good he has like recipes by his son oh. and he's like seven or something and it's like buddy's pancakes it's like it's so strange. I do think God. it's really weird when any parent says, uh, you know, like kind of does that with anybody under the age of like 16 to 18. And they'll always justify it by saying, oh, they love um, they love it. They keep saying they want to do what mummy does. Of course they do. I wanted to work in a bloody call centre when I was seven because you think that's what it is to be adults. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. well, my mum works in that. Don't let them do it because they'll go mental. Like when have you ever seen anybody turn out and be like, oh, they're absolutely fine. <laughs> It's really that. weird that, like, I just think giving a child a job, it's a real hate crime. You know, it's I don't think it should odd. be allowed. <laughs> like, no, it should be, it should be an offence. Me, we were talking about this, how could you criminalise it? Because when, if you, you know, especially like Hollywood pushy mums and stuff, it's yeah. child abuse, like putting yeah. them in. The Olsen twins, like, hate their parents, don't they? Because they put them on their first job when they were like two months old or something. Did they? I thought they were pretty okay now, the Olsen twins, no? They're absolutely round the bend, Caroline. <laughs> Really normal sister. Yeah. She she seems all right. Yeah, but I think that's because yeah. they took the flak. Right. Yeah, they absorbed all that mm. all that trauma for <laughs> absolutely round the bend, Caroline. <laughs> Mad. Have you seen them? They're not okay. <laughs> yeah. Although there is one the one thing about the famous parent famous child thing that I do think is like it's difficult because like sometimes it's like it's just pure nepotism. And sometimes it's like, well, clearly this person comes from a creative house and has made stuff like that's good. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. and it's really talented. Absolutely. Um, like I, uh, the author Ava Rice, who I've had in Sentimental Garbage, her dad is Tim Rice, who's, you know, 
of Tim Rice fame. Yeah. Like one of the most famous lyricists of all time. And like, she's a wonderful writer. He's a wonderful writer. And it's and she yeah. gets a lot of flack for nepotism, but it's like, and maybe, and she probably did experience nepotism, but also I'm glad the books exist. So it's like, But nepotism you know. isn't always about the, it's never, say, it's not saying that they're not talented. What they just need to admit is that they got the foot in the door to prove yeah. that they were or yeah. not because of who their dad was. Often if they're shit, they actually won't get that far, but they'll get a bit. Yeah, you even know. if it's hate clicks of being like... Yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, God, like Larry David's daughter, yeah. Yes, yeah. Often it's, um, they're allowed, we allow them um, if it's a different space that they're famous in. Yeah. So, like, for instance, Stella McCartney is allowed because she does yes. fashion. Yes, and Sophie Dahl is allowed. Sophie Dahl is allowed, yes, yes. because she does fashion and Roald Dahl didn't. It's, it's so weird, though, because it's like the oldest thing ever. It's like you go back to the 1920s and there's somebody being accused of nepotism because of their, you know, father was like in the talkies or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, um, it's like we're we're never not fascinated as a society. We're like, oh, well, I know their dad for a thing. Yeah. Even even like yeah. the normal everyday like peasant on the street, you and me, it's like, oh, well, I remember her dad in that movie, so maybe I'll like this too. It's so apish. It's so yeah. stupid. <laughs> I think one one thing that I have more tolerance of it with as well is with like when like supermodels have supermodel daughters, and it's like that yeah, makes of sense because you've yeah. got like the most crazy genes that give you like yeah, the longest when they legs act, in the yeah, world. Exactly when yeah. they actually look like it. Yeah, you're like, well, fair enough. So, in short, starve your children of attention, and then when they get it, make sure that you don't let them become big-headed, because in interviews, the other cliche, the final one I'll end on, is that they say, oh, my friends and family always keep me down to earth if I ever thought I was, I was getting big-headed, if they ever thought I was getting big-headed, and then you have to go, yes, I see. Basically, you just have to play mind games with your children, and they will become famous. Well, that's all for this week. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, you can hear more by searching School for Dumb Women on your favourite podcast app and following us on the usual social media platforms at Dumb Women Pod. Thanks to Gavin Day for our artwork, Harry Harris for our jingles, and Zoe Radio Studios. Blah! 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 Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.